Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Laricchia, and this is episode number 203 of the podcast. It's the 5th of November, 2019, as I record this intro. And this week, I have part two of the Schools Out audio edition. Just to get you back up to speed, when people join my mailing list, I not only make sure they have a copy of my free book, What is Unschooling, I also give them a link to download a magazine-style collection of some of my previously published articles. All my articles are available on my website, but this collection is handpicked and organized in an order that I think aligns well with the unschooling journey. I had a lot of fun putting them all together magazine style along with pictures in the PDF edition, as well as creating ebook editions, both EPUB and Mobi for all the different kinds of reading devices. And now with more and more people loving audio, I thought it was high time I created an audio version as well. However, it was long, so I split it into two parts. Part one came out in episode number 198, and here is part two. But first, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes every week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into the Schools Out audio part two. This article was originally published in the Natural Parent magazine, issue 18, and it's titled Nurturing Curiosity. Being open to our child's wonder. In a formal learning environment, curriculum dictates what the student is expected to learn. With unschooling, curiosity drives what the child chooses to learn. And what's the advantage? Free to follow their curiosity, the child is interested and engaged in whatever they are doing. When their mind is actively engaged, it is making observations, analyzing options, making connections, and figuring things out. In other words, learning. Human beings are wired to be curious. From the youngest age, children are driven to explore the world around them and figure out how it works. As parents, we marvel at their single-minded determination, their obvious joy when they figure out how to communicate that they want something the countless times they try to pick up that toy, the tenacity with which they practice standing up and taking those first few steps. We constantly encourage them as they learn so many new skills in their first year. And then they can walk. They can get into cupboards and drawers. They can pick up things in one spot and drop them in another. They can reach new things and press new buttons. Life starts to get messier than just a dirty diaper. A child's insatiable curiosity to engage with life doesn't fade unless the adults in the child's life actively discourage it. No, that's not a toy. No, don't make a mess. 
No, don't touch that. Apparently, there's a UCLA study that found the average toddler hears the word no 400 odd times a day. The average toddler is determined to explore. And the adults in their lives seem determined to stop them. The message we're really sending our children is to stop being curious. Ignore the things in the cupboard. Don't wonder how far across the room the stuffed animal will fly. Forget about experimenting to see what will happen when things hit the ground after being dropped from table height. We rationalize it. I don't have time to clean that up. Or they might hurt themselves. Exploring and learning about the world takes a backseat to order and convention. Our children pass through the toddler years, yet our justifications for shutting down their exploration continue. No, you can't watch another episode, it's bedtime. No, don't bring out that craft, you'll make a mess. No, you can't play that game, I've heard it's violent. Now, imagine instead spending that time and energy nurturing their curiosity. How can we do that? We can ensure cupboard contents are safe, find a room or a yard where throwing things around is less risky, and gather all sorts of things that won't break when dropped, from feathers to balls to wood blocks. We can consider staying up later and sleeping in. We can find a better place to set up the craft. We can check out the game ourselves rather than relying on hearsay. In the bigger picture, it's really about being open to our child's wonder. Being open means not presuming where things will go. Almost the opposite of curriculum, where the next step is not only already defined, but so is the next one and the next. Being march step down a predetermined path leaves little room for wonder, for exploration, for experiencing the joy of an unexpected discovery. Because their curiosity isn't constantly being restrained, one of the refreshing traits of unschooling children is their enthusiasm for life. What might life with inquisitive and engaged children look like? It can look like a huge Lego town, days or weeks spent building a contemporary community with stores and parks and homes and citizens, or a futuristic base with a control room and sleeping quarters and spaceships and aliens or a medieval castle with an armory and a mill and dragons and townsfolk. It can look like one child concentrating hard on playing a video game while you read the guide out loud for tips and tricks, in between your turns of the board game you're playing with your other children. Everyone taking a moment to cheer when a boss is beat, or someone rolls a six, or lands at the bottom of the longest ladder. It can look like a puppet show, put on from behind the couch, full of dialogue and sound effects and giggles, with you recording it and everyone watching it immediately after. More giggling ensues. It can look like a weekday afternoon at the practically deserted park, winding the tire swing up countless times, with its passengers laughing maniacally as you release it, eventually their boundless energy spurring them to explore the play structure and escape from the pirates down the tunnel slide. It can look like each child in their room, one reading and writing on an online forum, one setting up props for a photo shoot, one playing a computer game. Each wandering out once in a while to chat and grab a snack, you calling down the hallway to ask if anyone would like a cup of the tea you're brewing. In each of those little snapshots, can you picture the intense engagement with the activity? Envision what is happening beneath the surface? 
the learning is rampant. Because each child is following their own curiosity, they dive into their interests as deeply as they want. Maybe the Lego town lasts a day or a week or a month. Maybe they take a hundred photos, then play with perspective and take a hundred more, then rearrange the set and take another two hundred. Creativity thrives. The days themselves can look very different, but the curiosity that drives them is the same. What do they love? What questions do they ask? What would they like to try? Who do they want to become? Unschooling is about helping them as they explore the questions that drive them. Exploring the world becomes something enjoyable in its own right. Lifelong learning becomes as natural as breathing. Nurturing their curiosity is about being open to the possibilities, giving opportunities the potential to bloom. If we decide on our boundaries ahead of time and hold on to them tightly, our lives might not be as magical as they could be. And it may be harder for our children to discover the joy and learning that being curious can bring them over their lifetime. Be open to the ripples, the connections. Be curious. You never know where it may lead. This next article was originally published in the Natural Parent Magazine, issue 17. It's titled Cultivating Creativity, Living and Learning Without Shame. Have you found yourself in similar circumstances? You walk into the family room and find your child building a tower with the set of base 10 math blocks you bought recently, and your first thought is, that's not how you're supposed to use them. Or you walk into the playroom and find the ball of yarn you picked up to show your child how to spool knit unraveled and strung around the room as a giant spider web. Your vision of cuddling on the couch and knitting together crumbles as you think, yarn isn't a toy. As unschooling parents, we actively encourage our children's learning, yet it can be challenging to remain supportive when their actions don't align with our expectations. In those moments, often our first impulse is to explain to them in no uncertain terms why their choice was wrong. And that's not surprising. Many, if not most of us, were steeped in this culture of judgment throughout our childhood. Our answers to questions were either right or wrong. The way we did things was either right or wrong. The way we behaved was either right or wrong. We received praise for being right and were shamed for being wrong. Shame is powerful, isn't it? It's an effective training tool, if training is your goal. Conventional schooling and parenting continue to use it to their advantage. And the result? Here's how Ken Robinson described it in his 2006 TED Talk, How Schools Kill Creativity. He said, kids aren't frightened of being wrong. Now, I don't mean to say that being wrong is the same thing as being creative, What we do know is if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. And by the time they get to be adults, most kids have lost that capacity. They have become frightened of being wrong. Young children ooze creativity, but most have been judged and shamed enough times that as adults, they actively avoid suggesting anything new, anything different in both their work and personal lives. Fear of being judged negatively has sapped their ability to think creatively. But what if training your child to conventional norms isn't your goal? 
With unschooling, we aren't looking to ingrain a fear of being wrong in our children. Instead, we aim to cultivate a sense of exploration, a joy in learning and in discovering new to them things. We understand that there will be times when things go unexpectedly. Most times, a much more accurate description than, quote, wrong. And that these moments are ripe for learning. Learning instead of fear. It makes sense, but still, it can be hard to remember when we see our children in action and our first thought is they're doing it wrong. Our instinct is to show them the right way to do it. However, it's worth the effort to try to catch ourselves in that moment and choose to give our children the space to figure things out their way. By that, I don't mean be uninvolved. I mean, don't direct. Give them the time to explore things for themselves without always being given the answer. That's real learning. Still, you might be wondering why it's such a big deal to pay attention to when you step in. And really, the answer is situational, as is so often the case with unschooling. One could argue the child may be interested in knowing how something is typically used or done. And yes, that is great information to share with them but not until they have satisfied their own curiosity and freely followed the questions that came to mind. If we do jump in while they are still actively engaged in the puzzle, they will likely feel silly for not yet having thought of our more experienced idea. And they'll feel even worse if we tease or shame them about it. If we do it regularly, the message they'll probably internalize is that they aren't capable of figuring things out for themselves. And once they believe that, they'll just want to be shown things, to be given the answer. While there is some learning in that, or at least memorizing, there is often little understanding. They won't know why something is that way. They'll just know that it is. Their curiosity will dwindle. Their creativity will atrophy. Yet, if you, if they ask for your input or help, by all means do that. When they ask, they're showing you that they're open to other ideas and ready to move on. So give them a hand. There's another really interesting link between unschooling and cultivating creativity, and that's making connections. In a 1996 interview in Wired Magazine, Steve Jobs, the creative visionary behind Apple Computer and the mobile computer revolution, shared this insight about creativity. Creativity is just connecting things. When you ask creative people how they did something, they feel a little guilty because they didn't really do it. They just saw something. It seemed obvious to them after a while. That's because they were able to connect experiences they've had and synthesize new things. And the reason they were able to do that was that they've had more experiences or they have thought more about their experiences than other people. Unfortunately, that's too rare a commodity. His understanding that creativity is just about connecting things dovetails beautifully with the essence of unschooling, where following their curiosity wherever it leads is encouraged. Our children's learning and creativity blossom as they build their own unique web of learning connections that grows far beyond the discrete and linear curriculum path of school. His observation that creative people have had more experiences and thought more about them aligns closely with the unschooling lifestyle as well. Unschooling children have lots of experiences, 
Not only do they avoid being secluded inside a classroom for 30 plus hours a week, but their parents actively support their exploration of the real world through their interests and passions. Unschooling children also have time to contemplate their experiences, to roll them around in their mind and discover interesting connections. And he's right, it's rare. Growing up in an unschooling family is rare. But it's a beautiful and creative lifestyle where living and learning weave together and connect in spectacular ways beyond the fear of judgment and shame. This article was originally published in the Natural Parent Magazine, issue 15. And it's titled, Choosing to Quit. It's not a question of commitment. Coaxing children out the door to get to their baseball practice or swimming lesson is practically a rite of passage for today's parents. There are lots of reasons kids find organized recreational activities fun. Uh, They enjoy the sport or the activity itself. There's the satisfaction of improvement, the time spent with friends, and so on. But that's not always the case. Sometimes their resistance to leave is more than the challenge of transitioning between activities. Sometimes they discover they don't enjoy the activity as much as they thought they would. They really don't want to go. When this happens, parents are often torn. Dragging their child out the door isn't fun for them either. But they worry that letting them quit now means they'll always quit when things get tough. Or they worry about the money. I paid for 10 lessons, so finish them, and then you don't have to sign up again. It seems like a reasonable compromise at least on the surface. Let's step back for a moment. When a child expresses an interest in joining an activity, baseball, girl guides, karate, ballet, what's the first step? Typically, parents find the closest group and sign them up. Yet with unschooling, our goals are focused on our child's learning and enjoyment. So instead of basing our choice on our own convenience, we can choose to think of ourselves as our child's partner in their search for a ballet studio or a karate dojo or a baseball league that will work well for them. That's an important distinction because the atmosphere surrounding many activities is dictated by the individual adults who run them. Before insisting our child adapt and change to fit in at the closest studio or dojo or whatever, we can be their partner and, where possible, help them find a good fit between the group's atmosphere and their personality and goals. Many organizations will let a child try out a class or two before committing. Let your child know that if, for example, they don't enjoy the karate class at the first dojo they try, That doesn't necessarily mean they don't like karate. They can try another dojo and another. It's worth the time and effort to find a good match for your child because if they aren't enjoying themselves, they aren't learning much. Choosing to quit an activity is as much a learning experience as starting it. Now, that's a different perspective, isn't it? Conventionally, quitting is akin to failure. If you quit something before the end, you have failed to finish it. That's the sentiment that underlies the finish your tens le- 10 lessons compromise. Yet, what is your goal? If each week the lesson is an, un- an actively unhappy time for your child, they can grow to dislike the activity itself. 
So is your goal to turn them off ballet or swimming for the indefinite future? If you've paid $100 for a series of rec ballet lessons and they're only half finished, you might consider that that last $50 is an investment in preserving their enjoyment of dance. If our insistence that they finish what they start becomes a pattern, our kids will learn not to try out activities unless they are very sure they will enjoy it. The fear of being stuck there will outweigh their curiosity to explore something new. Or maybe we're worried that our children wanting to quit means they will always give up rather than rise to a challenge. Again, that's fear talking. The choices they make today don't define all the choices they will make in the future. The choices they make today are helping them gain experience with making choices. Not to mention challenges that aren't motivating and inspiring for your child are probably not the right kinds of challenges for them. That's a great thing to learn. Over the years, unschooling children will will gain lots of experience with wanting to try something, choosing ways to try it out, and seeing how well those paths meet their goals. They will discover things they enjoy and things they don't and get a better feel for the clues that help them decide when to step up their game and when to quit and move on. And each time they choose to quit, they're still learning. How does that choice feel? Do they miss the activity? How much? What do they miss about it? What are they doing with the time that quitting freed up? Are they enjoying that more than the activity? Less? So much learning. And quitting is not a forever decision. Now that they better understand the environment, they may choose to go back at some point in the future. Moving on from an organized activity needn't mean an end to learning about it. If they really don't want to take swimming lessons, what might you do? If your real goal is for them to enjoy swimming and be safe in the water, find the ways they do enjoy the water and explore those for now. Maybe the adventure of water parks, playing at the beach, jumping off the dock into the lake, a wading pool in the backyard... Open your mind to the many ways there are to enjoy water beyond swimming lessons. If they love ballet but lessons were a bust, try the many other ways there are to enjoy and explore dance. Put on some classical music and dance around the family room. Change up the music and see what happens. Borrow ballet books and DVDs from the library. Buy some costumes or a tutu so they can dress up. Record their performances at home so they can see themselves. Go to a ballet in the theaters. The Nutcracker is beautiful and fun for kids and often performed around Christmas. In the spring, check your local dance schools for their student recitals. Tickets are usually inexpensive. Remember, formal lessons aren't the only way to enjoy many activities. Joining and quitting activities is more about helping our children explore their world, the activities and environments that spark their curiosity and bring them joy. That's where the learning is. If they discover a passionate interest, they will doggedly pursue it, even through many challenging moments. You don't need to teach this kind of unwavering commitment by requiring it in everything they do. Instead, help them find things that they enjoy so much that their dedication and learning flows naturally. Children who have the freedom to explore a variety of things and discard those that don't catch their prolonged interest do not feel like failures when they choose to drop something. 
Instead, they see it as another experience from which to learn a little bit about something and a lot about themselves. This article was first published in Life Learning Magazine, the May-June 2004 issue. It's titled, I Can Read, You Know, A Mother's Observations of How Lack of Pressure and Unstructured Reading Time Turned a Non-Reader into a Self-Professed Bookworm. I can read, you know, my nine-year-old daughter retorted lightly to her older brother this past summer. I don't even remember what he had said to her, but her reply stood out. It was a turning point for her to declare that she could read. I had taken my three kids out of school just over a year before that incident. Or, more rightly, they had jumped at the chance to leave when it was offered to them. At the time, my daughter was in grade two and one of her teacher's favorite students. She did well and seemed to enjoy going to school, though she was in one of the lower reading groups. I was therefore surprised, albeit happily, that she was on cloud nine for the next three days, contemplating the fact that she did not have to return to school when March break was over. Although she had read the early readers they sent home from school without much complaint, she did not want to pick up a book once home. She could often be heard to declare, I can't read, and nothing I said would convince her otherwise. I told her that if she was interested in reading a book herself, she could just ask me any words she came across that she didn't know, and I'd tell her. No thanks, was her reply. So I completely let it go. No pressure or expectations. At the same time, I made a point of reading books to her and her brothers just about every day. Her older brother had been given the first Harry Potter book, so we started there. Everyone enjoyed the story immensely, and we soon worked our way through all four books numerous times, eagerly anticipating the release of the fifth book in June, and then powered through it together in three days. If a movie we watched was based on a book, I might mention it. If someone asked a question that needed to be looked up in a book, I just did it. Books were just another part of our lives. I didn't make a big deal out of it. And whenever she asked, I read for her or her older brother would, usually when they were playing video games. I mentioned to her in passing that I was still coming across new words that no, and that nobody knows them all, and it probably helped for her to see me stumble trying to pronounce new words and names in the Harry Potter books. Once in a while, she would read a word or two here and there. Occasionally, I pointed this out to her, but she still insisted she couldn't read. It seemed her definition of being able to read was being able to read the Harry Potter books fluently, or more generally, I think, being able to read and understand, quote, real books, those at the level of her vocabulary, interest, and understanding, not the early readers where the story often suffers severely at the hands of limited vocabulary in the name of being able to read. Sound reasoning, I think, now. What's the rush? So our first year of unschooled learning passed this way. I could see snatches, though. As always with natural learning, the moments came unexpectedly and then moved on. It's when you put them all together over a period of time that you can start to see the picture coming alive on the canvas. On drives, she started commenting on signs. Interesting. And reading stuff from TV commercials. Very interesting. And then, seemingly out of the blue this past summer, her comment to her brother, I can read, you know. It may not seem like much, but it felt like she had turned a corner. 
Even though she had not yet picked up a book, even though she still openly declared she hated books, in her mind, it was no longer about her being a reader. It was about her being interested in reading. I had been reading the Harry Potter books to the kids over and over the past year, and we finally got them on CD in midsummer. The boys had had their fill, but she would cozy up in her room and listen to them regularly. Sometimes I would bring her food or tea, and she'd smile and say thanks and continue listening. September came, and after listening to all five a number of times, she started writing down things that were interesting to her. Umbridge's speech, the prophecy, the Sphinx's riddle, listing the names of the centaurs, clues she found that matched up with other books, and so on. I noticed her notebook filling up, and one night while I was out, I picked her up a new one I thought she'd like. She really appreciated that, and she used it for her good copies. She said sometimes she's writing so fast, it's hard to read. This writing led to her looking things up in the books, since at times she couldn't quite figure out the words from the CDs. So she took all five books up to her room and placed them beside her CD player so she had quick access. Not long after that, she mentioned that she was sometimes following along in the book while listening. I thought that was cool. Then one afternoon, a few days later, she came down from her room to show me that she had read the first two chapters of Philosopher's Stone. And she said she was very surprised that the words weren't nearly as hard as she remembers. I imagined from looking at the books when I was first reading them. And she pointed out that many of the words in the Harry Potter books are harder to read since they're made up words that she doesn't see elsewhere. Cool. The next morning she spent in bed reading and made it to chapter four. She was very pleased with herself. For the next few days, she read in bed every morning and at various times during the day and night. One night, she brought her heating blanket into the backyard to the swing, ran the extension cord, brought out her pillows and a flashlight and settled in to read until it started to rain. She was so excited. She brought the book everywhere and was constantly saying, I want to read and finding a quiet place. And I quietly found a moment here and there to sneak away and find where she was holed up to catch a glimpse of her engrossed in a book. Throughout October, she was still going full steam ahead on her reading and writing. She was immersing herself in words. It hadn't taken her long to finish reading Philosopher's Song, and she soon started Chamber of Secrets, but after a few chapters said it was pretty boring because she knew it all. She said at least while she's listening to the audiobooks, she gets to do other things. And boy, does she do other things. Uh, let's see if I can list some of them. Sewing costumes for her stuffed animals, sewing pillows for sale, creating wired jewelry using bees, beads that she's found around the house, and designing and creating her own clasps, repairing couch pillows, pajamas, and Christmas stockings. Then she moved on to more writing. She marked all her favorite places in the books and wrote out many of the signs, letters, songs, and so on that she could find in the storyline. Sometimes she wrote them by hand, sometimes she typed them. Some are hung on her door, others placed in vignettes around her room, and still others stored safely for use as props at the Live and Learn Conference talent show this summer. More playing with words. In November, she pulled out our Magical Worlds of Harry Potter book, and for the next few days she read that regularly gently stepping beyond the Harry Potter books themselves to one that would likely have the same vocabulary she was already comfortable with, 
and feeding her passion at the same time. Now and then she read some passages aloud to me, and at other times she would explain what she had read. Then a couple weeks later, she was reading all her email from her conference friends. Up until that point, she had always asked me to read them to her. Then she took a Nancy Drew book from our library at home and started reading it. She was now definitely getting more comfortable with her reading and expanding beyond her initial Harry Potter zone. I find it so interesting to follow her path to reading, which began in school with early readers, but she rejected those books when she came home to learn. She made no attempt at reading on her own over the next year and a half, but did lots of listening to the Harry Potter series and a few other books I read to them. Then a breakthrough when she declared that she could read, shifting the focus from being a reader to being interested in reading. Finding a passionate interest, she, within the course of a month, whizzed through the stages of writing things out as she listened to the audiobooks, looking things up in the books, following along in the books, and then reading one of the books independently. I'm so grateful that unschooling allowed her to find her own path to reading. And a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting in the kitchen, and she asked about a book of names we have, and then exclaimed in mock horror, Ah, I'm turning into a bookworm. The last article in our Schools Out collection was first published in Our Schools Ourselves, the winter 2011 issue. And it's titled, What Does Unschooling Mean to Me? Um, and the answer to this question has evolved over the years. This was an article that I wrote with Carlo Ricci and Idzi Damare, and we each wrote from our perspective. So here's my part. When we first started in 2002, unschooling meant a great way for my kids to learn. When I discovered homeschooling and invited my kids to leave school, I did a lot of reading and thinking about my own school experiences contemplating my work experiences and how they related to what I learned in school. I pondered how I best learn new things, how I learned things out of school differently than in school, and considered how much I remembered of the things I've learned on my own and the things I've been taught. And I did a lot of observing my children in action. When I thought about learning in general, I came to make a clear distinction between things that were memorized and things that were learned. I came to see real learning as stuff that was understood and remembered. Understanding meant it connected to my existing life experiences and made sense to me in the bigger picture. I realized that I learned best when I had personal reasons for pursuing the knowledge, when I was interested in the topic itself or when it was a skill I wanted to master to use in pursuit of a particular goal. I noticed I learned best when I enjoyed the act of learning, or at least was self-motivated enough to push through the challenges. If not, I shut down in frustration, and any learning in that moment was stymied. I best remembered my newfound knowledge when I applied it in my life immediately, that made the learning connection stronger, more meaningful, and more lasting. Taking my experiences and how I learned best and holding them up against the school environment and its curriculum-driven nature, I saw some serious disconnect. Growing up, times were rare when my interests coincided with the curriculum. 
Rarer still were the times when I could immediately apply the things I'd been taught to my day-to-day life. Much more often, I was told I'd use it someday. Many learning connections I'd made soon atrophied from disuse. The overarching theme that children go to school, segregated by age and isolated in special buildings, to learn how to live in the real world once they graduate, looks quite artificial viewed from my adult perspective. What if my children could live and learn in the real world right now, instead of vicariously through worksheets that ask, how much money would you have left if you had $10 and you spent $3.50 on a toy? Learning through real experiences, going to real stores with real money, instead of practicing with play money and play stores set up in school to simulate real life. Hiking in real parks, looking for signs of wildlife, or watching beavers build a dam instead of looking at pictures in textbooks. Figuring out how to measure and map out their room to see if the new bed they want now fits with their other furniture, not when the curriculum says it's time for, say, a unit on calculating area. Immersing themselves in learning a song on the keyboard while they're interested and motivated instead of having to stop at the sound of a bell and move on to something else. One of the best things about learning through unschooling is being able to follow the child's interests, giving the child the freedom to learn when their interest and engagement is peaked for as long as they are interested and in the manner they prefer. Without the end goal of graduation or the restrictive timeline of curricula, learning is seen as a lifelong endeavor, something you do when information or a skill is needed or wanted, not because you happen to be in grade 10. If a person hasn't yet encountered a need for a particular piece of information or a specific skill while living their life, then it's not something they've needed to know. Maybe they'll encounter it next month, maybe next year, maybe next decade. Whenever they do, they can learn it. If they're living their life and they never come across a need for nor develop an interest in figuring out long division or the exports of Peru, then there was no real need in their life to invest time and effort in learning either one. And those who were taught one or both of those pieces of information in school, if they didn't use them as part of their lives, do they still remember them today? Was it really learned or merely memorized? Yes, there is a common or basic set of skills and knowledge in our society, but these will definitely be encountered by living in our society. The basic skills to function in the real world are learned by unschoolers precisely because they are living in the real world every day, not ensconced in a separate building and sorted by age. Not told, learn this now because someday it will be important. Unschoolers wait for someday to arrive and the learning follows. As Carlo mentioned, we live in a literate and numerate society. Words and patterns and numbers are part of our lives. And without the shame and fear of failing to learn these skills on someone else's timetable, they are picked up and assimilated along the way. If any particular skill is not a person's strengths, which will be true whether or not they went to school, Without the stigma of failing, an unschooler will be more apt to move through these challenges gracefully and find helpful ways to adapt. With unschooling, learning is not focused on the skills as it is in school, like learning to read, to write, to calculate, and to memorize. 
but on pursuing personal goals and interests and the needed information and skills are picked up along the way. Learning has real meaning and connection to their lives in that moment. So it is understood in a way that a random piece of information presented by someone else is not. And because that learning is strongly connected to a real and immediate use for that information or skill, it's much more likely to be remembered. Unschooling is a great way to learn. Over months of observing my children learning as they went about living their lives, pursuing their passions and interests, I began to see that not only were they learning the more typically academic information and skills, they were also learning more about themselves as their interests and explorations grew and morphed and shrank and branched out. I saw them delve into their environment at home, playing in messy rooms, creating in tidy rooms, projects left out just in case they wanted to get back to them, furniture rearranged for comfort or fun. I've watched as they explored their personal needs, staying up late or getting up early in pursuit of their interest, choosing what and when to eat and noticing how they felt after, learning how to handle and express anger and frustration most effectively for them. Eventually, learning how to address situations before they became frustrating. What unschooling meant to me grew to encompass not just academic type learning, but learning life skills as well. One of the important skills that wasn't on my radar when they first left school was the ability to analyze situations and make choices. Unschooling gives them the time, freedom, freedom and supportive environment to analyze and discuss situations as they arise, from arguments with friends to whether to quit an ongoing activity to the various ways available to pursue an interest. We have discussed countless situations over the years, parents and kids all sharing their questions, their concerns, and their experience as it relates to the situation at hand, with the child choosing their path forward in the end. And from there, they see how it plays out and adjust accordingly, incorporating that experience into future choices. This is an incredibly important skill and one that will serve them well throughout their lives. I came to realize that the time and freedom to explore their own needs and choices would be severely curtailed by a school schedule. It made sense to me that young adults who've spent their lives following others' schedules and rules often needed to take time away to decompress, to find themselves. I can see plainly that my kids are spending their childhood doing just that. Unschooling gives my children the time and freedom to explore and discover themselves, their interests and their needs, as well as develop the skills to express them. They get lots of experience in examining situations and making choices as they were growing up, putting them in a great position from which to transition into adulthood. They already understand themselves, what makes them tick, how they learn best, and this self-knowledge helps them as they explore the kinds of jobs or careers and life that may best suit them. Once I was comfortable with how much my kids were learning through exploring their interests and passions and how well they were learning about living and about themselves, I stepped back and looked at our lives as a whole. Another revelation struck me. I was amazed at how great our relationships were, how supportive and loving. As siblings, they were not constantly putting each other down and often were downright supportive of each other. 
As teens, they were not trying to escape from us, their parents, but going out into the world, world confidently, exploring their own goals. By choosing not to live by arbitrary rules, we worked together and figured out ways for our family to live together peacefully, analyzing challenges as they arose and finding ways through them that were agreeable to everyone involved. And like life, these tools for living together consensually evolve with us. They aren't stagnant and restricting. I've come to appreciate that what unschooling means to me has evolved beyond a great way for my children to gain knowledge and skills and support a lifelong love of learning. It has grown beyond a great way to learn about themselves and how to get along in the world. In the end, it reaches beyond childhood to support and nurture our lifelong relationships, relationships that will last far beyond my children's compulsory school years. Unschooling means building an amazing, joyful, and interesting life together. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.